1: If you have your Bibles, why don't you open your Bibles to Hosea chapter 12. And while you're turning there, let me just kind of give you a glimpse kind of just inside my heart and in my mind as I've been studying through Hosea in order to be able to teach it. And I've alluded to this throughout the last few weeks. You know, it's difficult to be reading judgment after judgment after judgment after judgment. But what God has been doing in my heart as I've been reading through this, as I've been studying through this, he's really been revealing to me and showing to me the reason why he judges And even the reason why he pours out judgment upon his people and upon his bride, it's really out of his love for his people. I don't know if you know this or not, but God really does love you this morning. And, you know, yesterday we had this amazing conference and we talked about apologetics and the reason for our faith and how to defend our faith. And it's a really intellectual conversation, right? It really appeals to the intellect. This morning I want to appeal to your emotion a little bit more than your intellect, Because we have these walls in our lives that we build up that keep us separated or at a distance from the Lord. And for some people, that wall is intellect. you know, And they struggle with the deep questions of the universe and how things work and why things are the way that they are. But for some people, the wall that they build up is not a wall of intellect. It's a wall of the emotion. It's a wall of the heart. And some people really truly struggle with whether or not God cares for them because of the circumstances of their life. And if God really loved me, then why dot, dot, dot? And you can fill in the blank. And you all each have your blank. And I'm not trying to minimize what that thing is or what your dot, dot, dot is because you're suffering, and I get it, and I understand it. And sometimes we feel like we are far from God because if God really, truly loved me, then why would I be struggling with this? God loves you perfectly and completely just the way you are. And I want to give you some tools this morning To really try to combat that. And what God is going to do in Hosea chapter 12 is he's going to give us an object lesson that's really going to leave us, I'm hoping, Lord willing, we pray that when we leave today that we have a little bit of hope within us. Because if God can do something in this guy, he can do something in any of us here this morning. Right? So before we jump into that, the Lord put this verse on my heart this morning. Keep your finger there in Hosea chapter 12. But I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And this emotional struggle, and I, I don't know if depression has ever been as prevalent in our culture than it is today. And it doesn't matter how much our society advances. It doesn't matter how much more information we have. It doesn't matter you know, how much more wealth we seem to have or how much better off we are now than we were 40 years ago. I mean, that can be debated, right, especially today. Uh, but those things really don't matter. It still feels... Like depression is really taking over, and there's just like this heaviness that is over our culture, but not only over the culture, but over some of the church. And I want to give you this tool to put in your tool belt. And I I counsel with people throughout the week. The pastoral staff counsels with people, and I find myself coming back to this over and over and over again. This one statement that Paul makes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I think that it's something that we all really struggle with. Pick it up. Look at verse 3 with me says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Why? Because this isn't a fleshly battle. This is a spiritual battle. And oftentimes, we're trying to gain victory over the spiritual in the fleshly realm, and it's never going to happen. It just cannot happen that way. If you're going to win in the spirit, guess how you're going to have to wage your war? In the spirit, not in the flesh. It doesn't matter how many classes you take. It doesn't matter how many prescriptions you have. There's some things that are spiritual battles, and you have to win that war in the spirit, not in the flesh. Okay, so listen to what it says here. Secondly, he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power, destroying strongholds. God has given you an arsenal for this spiritual battle, and it's in the spirit. Those come from the spirit. He's given you those things to destroy those battles. All right. Now listen to this, verse 5. This is what I really want you to see. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to obey Christ. We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, some versions say. What does it mean? If this is our main tool in our arsenal, in this combat that we're waging in the spirit, what does it mean if what God has given us as a weapon is to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? How do we do that? What does that look like? Again, because these walls are not just intellectual that we build up against God. They're also emotional or you could say even spiritual. How do we tear down those walls? so that we don't feel far from God, so that we don't feel distant from God. God wants you to hear this this morning, especially if you came here and you felt alienated from God, if you felt really far and separated from God, whether because of your own sin or whether because of just issues that are happening in your life and you're questioning, you're saying, why God me? This is what God has given you to tear down that wall so that you feel close with the Lord again. Do you understand where we're at? So how do we take every thought captive? If this is the main arsenal that we have, the main weapon in our arsenal, how can we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? In order to do that, I believe you have to understand and know what God's thoughts are towards you. When a thought comes into your head, a thought, a depressing thought, a thought of your worthlessness... A thought of how you failed over and over and over again. If those thoughts come into your head, you have to take that thought captive. Imagine capturing that thought. And you bring that thought in front of your face. And you stare at that thought. And you ponder. You meditate upon that thought. And you say, now, is this thought the way God thinks about me? And if it is not the way God thinks about me, then where does that thought come from? You Follow me? Now, the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 29-11 the way God thinks about us, right? In this verse, many of you know this verse, God says this, he's speaking, he says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a what? And a hope. So you grab that thought and you say about that thought, that thought of depression, that thought of worthlessness, that thought of failure, that thought of shame, that thought of guilt, and you say, is this the way God thinks about me? Is this a thought of peace? Is this a thought of evil. Okay, is this thought give me a future? Does this thought bring to me hope? And if it doesn't, yet that thought is captive at this point, you have to expel that thought. That thought has to flee. That thought is not of the Lord. Do you follow me? Yes. A lot of you are here this morning and you're struggling with feeling separated from God, feeling far from God because you haven't taken captive those thoughts to the obedience of Christ. You're allowing the enemy to continue to speak falsehood and lies into your life and you're not really questioning whether or not that thought is from the Lord or not. Is that thought from God? Does this thought deserve to be in my thoughts right now or should it not be? Is this really what God thinks about me? The scripture says this in Romans chapter 5 verse 8. That while we were still sinners, it says, God demonstrated or proved his love for you and for me. That while we were still trapped in our sin, he loved me and he gave his son to die for me. That's how God thinks about you. And if it doesn't point you to the cross, if it doesn't remind you of God's great love, if that thought leads you from the presence of God, you need to take captive that thought and you need to expel that thought. Are you with me? Okay, this is not self-help. This is spiritual warfare. Okay? This is wrestling with God in the spirit. And what we're going to see today is God is going to give us this object lesson in Hosea chapter 12 from the man Jacob who actually did wrestle with God in the flesh. And the scripture says that he prevailed. Now, let's read Hosea chapter 12, the first few verses together. And then we're going to take this and kind of tear this apart. We're going to pick it up in verse 2 because chapter 12 verse 1 really goes with the previous section. Pick it up in chapter 12, verse 2. It says the lord has an indictment against judah and will punish jacob according to his ways he will repay him according to his deeds in the womb he took his brother by the heel and in his manhood he strove or he wrestled with god he strove with the angel and he prevailed he wept and sought his favor he met god at bethel and there god spoke with us the lord the god of hosts the lord is his merciful name so you by the help of our or your god return and hold fast to love And to justice and wait continually for our God. Now pause there for a moment. If you're taking notes, your first note is that this is really what God wants to show you. He wants to give you some hope for the lost. There's hope for every single one of you here today. Because if there's hope for Jacob, there's hope for you. If there's hope for Jacob, there's hope for you. It begins, and there's this word indictment that comes up again. Okay, The word indictment, it means I have a legal accusation, a formal charge that I'm bringing against Judah. And so Judah, again, is this kingdom in the south, Israel in the north. So now God is even, through Hosea, even pointing a finger at Judah. And the Judah isn't quite right. Again, for most of the time, the finger is being pointed at Ephraim, or another name for Israel, the ten northern tribes. Now the finger is even being pointed at the two southern tribes. Judah, I have an indictment and accusation even against you. And if you pause here for a moment, think through this with me. And we've gone through this, we've looked at this a few times, but I want to bring these verses up again because it's powerful for you to put yourself in the shoes of Judah, in the shoes of Israel. And if God were to step up and to stand before you today and he would look you in the eye and he would point a finger in your face and he said, "I have an indictment, I have a legal accusation or charge against you." What would happen in your heart of hearts? Would your heart just fall into your gut? Would you feel pretty hopeless? I mean, what do you say in defense of an argument that God brings against you, right? Listen to what it says here in Daniel. This is in Daniel chapter 7. This is one day. This is going to happen. As we approach the end of time, this is going to happen one day prophetically. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel says, as I looked, he has this vision. And he says, these thrones were placed and the ancient of days, God himself took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head like pure wool. His throne like fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand served him and ten thousands upon 10,000 stood before him. And the court sat in judgment and the books were opened. Then at the end of time, God will take his throne, the legal proceedings will begin, and he'll be given a book, and he'll open up a book, and within that book is going to be every deed that you've ever done. And will be judged according to those deeds. Listen to what it says here. This is in Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw, again, another vision. The apostle John has this vision. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, the earth and the sky fled away and no place was found for them. Then I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Is that thought not terrifying? To know that there is a day approaching in eternity where you will stand before a holy and righteous God in whatever tattered, filthy garments you are clothed with and have to give an account for every deed that you've done. But did you catch that, that in Revelation chapter 20, there were two books? Because there was that book with all of the deeds and every filthy thought you've ever had, every lie you've ever told, right? Everything that you've ever stolen. God has it all written in a book, but then there's another book called the Book of Life. And if your name is written in that book of life, guess what? You don't have to stand before that trial judge that day. You're excused from that judgment because you put your faith in Christ and your name is written in the book of life. You see, the trial changes the moment you come to Christ or you're found in Christ. And see, my worry, my struggle with you this morning is that there's so many in our culture who say, you know what, I'm a relatively good person. If I had to put my deeds on a scale between the good deeds and my bad deeds, I think that I would have more good deeds. The good deeds would outweigh the bad deeds, and I think I'd be allowed in. So many people think that way. But the Scripture says in James that he who is guilty in one point of the law is guilty of it all. Jesus said it's not just that you go ahead and you follow through on that action. He says in the Sermon on the Mount that it's your thought life. If you lust after a woman in your heart you've committed sin. If you say to your brother that you're a fool and you have hatred in your heart for your brother in your heart, not that you didn't commit murder, but you have murder in your heart that you're automatically expelled. You don't deserve the presence of God. Jesus said it's not what goes into a man that defiles him it's what comes out of the man that defiles him all the wickedness in the heart of man but here's the thing when that trial convenes when you come to christ when you place your faith in the finished work of the cross you no longer have to stand there naked and in your tattered garments soiled and filthy now you're robed in the righteousness of christ and you stand different the Apostle Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3. He lists this long list of all of the religious activity that he had committed in his lifetime. All of the ways that he was trying to be good enough to get to God. All the ways that he was trying to earn God's love and earn God's favor. How he was the good Jewish boy from the time he was little to the time he was grown. Even persecuting the church that was they viewed it was a threat to their Jewish lifestyle. And then he comes to this point where he has an encounter with the Lord. He comes to know Christ. And then he says this, his whole attitude, his outlook changes. Look at what it says, Philippians chapter 3. Indeed, I count everything as loss. All of my past, all of my religion, all of the th- deeds that I did in the Jewish faith, it was all loss. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Listen. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That in that moment, when I go and I stand before the judge on judgment day, when that indictment is read against me, that I'm standing there and I'm not standing there alone, that I have come to know that all that was the past is lost. It's rubbish. It's trash. It's filth. But then I'm robed in Christ's righteousness. I'm found in him, a righteousness that comes by faith. And in that moment, I'm not judged. I'm forgiven. This is available for each of you this morning. You see, the reason why God brings these words, these hard and difficult words, is because he wants for you to know what is going to happen so that you can avoid the judgment in the end. You see, God is not so short-sighted that he'll allow you a little bit of pleasure today, knowing that you're going to go and be destroyed for an eternity. He'll allow you to experience a little discomfort in this flesh so that your soul might be saved in the end. That's how much he loves you. Right, So here, I have this indictment against Judah. I have these charges that I'm going to bring. And he says there, it's eye-opening. I'm going to judge him. I'm going to repay him according to his works, according to his deeds. Imagine being repaid for your works by God. Uh, Understand this this morning. If you feel like you're pulling a fast one over on the Lord, you're not. You cannot hide in your closet and continue to sin. God sees it all. And no one can escape the spiritual principle of sowing and weeping. God says this in Galatians. Make sure you understand this. Don't be confused by this. Don't be deceived by this. Whatever a man sows, he's also going to reap. So what? So if I reap to the flesh, I'm going to reap destruction. But if I reap to the Spirit, right, Then blessings flow, then righteousness comes in. You want to be sowing to the Spirit so that you can reap of the Spirit. Don't sow to the flesh and reap of the flesh, you see. Don't be deceived. What you've sown, you're going to reap. There's going to come a judgment day when people will be repaid for their sin. Some of you this morning are wondering why your house is in disarray, why your home is not in order, why things are falling apart around you. Could it be the spiritual principle is knocking at your door and you're finally reaping what you've been sowing for so long? But there's a solution to this. Because if you stop sowing to the flesh and you begin to sow to the Spirit, guess what eventually is going to come knocking at your door? The Spirit's going to be knocking at your door again. And the Spirit will come back in. And there will be no more destruction. There will be no more flesh in your home. Because you began sowing to the Spirit, you're reaping of the Spirit. That's hope. That's hope. Each one will be repaid according to his deeds. This is my conviction. And this is why oftentimes when I give an altar call, I don't ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. I don't want to make this easy for the most part. Why? Because it's easy to give lip service. It's easy. Again, I say this often. It's easy to sing these songs. It's easy to say amen. It's easy to interject at the right time during a service like this. But God is not impressed with your words. He's looking at your heart. You're not going to be repaid according to your word. It's not enough just to confess Christ. Your life has to change. In the same way as this, if I knew that I'm unhealthy physically and I go to the doctor and the doctor says, you need to stop eating what you're eating and you need to begin exercising. You can agree with that statement that the doctor says. Yes, you're right. I need to eat more healthy. Yes, you're right. I need to begin to exercise so that I can become healthy. A lot of us here this morning, a lot of us listening at home, we agree with what God's word says, but we haven't really changed our life. We haven't changed our diet. We haven't begun to exercise. It's not enough to agree with God's word. You have to actually change. Okay, I can't tell my daughter, hey, you need to go clean your room. Your room is messy. Yes, you're right, it's messy. And she can never clean it. Nothing changed there. Has your heart really been changed? Because God is going to judge you, not just your confession, not just what you say, not just your lip service, not just that you can sing these songs and raise your hands. God is looking at your heart. Has your life changed? changed because you've had an encounter with God that's what he's looking for each one is going to be judged according to his ways according to his deeds listen to what it says in Titus chapter 2 for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness that word renounce it means to deny or to disown the old life That that is not for me anymore. We're going to denounce ungodliness and worldly passions to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Why? Waiting for the blessed hope and the appearing and the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we're going to renounce the old life and we're going to begin waiting for the Lord's return. How many of you are really truly waiting? We're going to see this the importance of this in a minute. Now, He's going to transition here. He's got this indictment against Judah. And now he's going to bring up Jacob. Jacob, if you want to read the story of Jacob, you can go to Genesis chapter 25 and read from like 25 to 34. You can get a lot of context in that timeline if you read really the whole story of Jacob. But Jacob is really the father of Israel. His name is changed later to Israel. He has 12 sons, which are the 12 tribes of Israel. And God is going to use this man as an example of someone who experienced difficulty and hardship and trial in life because of his choices, but in the end, when he has an encounter with God, he still changes. His life is changed because he had an encounter with the Lord. And the hope is this, that it doesn't matter how messed up you've made your life today, if you're willing to meet with the Lord, your life can be changed as well. So look, here's this guy named Jacob. Read it with me. Hosea chapter 12, verse We're going to be in verse 3. Speaking of Jacob, it says, In the womb he took his brother by the heel. His name means heel snatcher. Literally, Jacob means heel snatcher or deceiver or someone who tries to trip. And he was in his mother's womb, in Rebekah's womb, with his twin brother Esau. And Esau was going to be born first. Okay, so Esau comes out First, and because he was born first, he has the birthright. He gets twice as much inheritance as would Jacob. And so, even in the womb, Rebecca's like, "Why is there? Why are they fighting so much within my womb?" And God says, "There's two nations warring within your womb right now." And so, Esau's born first. And as Esau is being born, Jacob reaches out and grabs onto Esau's heel as if to try to pull him back into the womb so he can be born first. His name means heel snatcher, deceiver, someone who's constantly trying to trip you up. Now even Esau would say in Genesis chapter 27, because not only did he try to take or try to snatch that birthright, okay, eventually Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for a pot of stew. Okay? A crazy thought here. And and again, some of you can view this, some people view this as really a struggle between the flesh and in the spirit, the whole story of Jacob and Esau. Esau would be the man who's of the flesh, and Jacob would be the man of the spirit, and they're warring at each other. There's two nations at war within you, okay? And Esau, the man of the flesh, he's so hungry coming home from hunting one day that he's, he's so famished, and his brother had just made this porridge, and he says, please give me that porridge. I'm about to die of hunger. And Jacob says, I'll give you this porridge, but you have to give me the birthright. And he says, whatever you want. What good is my birthright if I die of hunger right here? right? That's how fleshy this guy was. It's, you know, so he sells him his birthright for some porridge.
0: Thanks for tuning in for Love Live Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley, with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the ccciv.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.ccciv.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.